Hello everyone and welcome to another special edition of our World Cup podcast of ideas. I'm Adam Rawcliffe, I'm joined today by my colleagues Alistair Donald and Jacob Reynolds uh, and great friend of the uh, Academy of Ideas and actuary Hilary Sol. Uh, so last night we found out the first finalist of the 2018 World Cup uh, with France narrowly beating Belgium 1-0 thanks to a headed goal by Samuel and Titi uh, to take France over the line. Uh, towards the end of the game, uh, accusations of some wasting of time uh, and another set-piece goal uh, highlight the World Cup of set-pieces. Uh, so guys, what do you make of last night's semi-final uh, and how good are France? Uh, Alistair, kick us off. Um, well, I thought it was a really great game last night, actually. Um, I've not been a big fan of France over the last few years, and even through this tournament, I thought they've only really shown um, something in the in the game against Argentina. But last night, I thought you just got a sense a bit more of what they were about. Um, I thought they were they, Belgium started off very well, but what impressed me about France, I think, was the way that they uh, took the game and imposed themselves on it. And, and I thought their uh, defensive performance was very good. Uh, the midfield uh, seem to step up beyond uh, what they've shown so far and obviously they've got Mbappe up front who uh, looks a complete handful to play against. So I think uh, they they now look a very strong team, probably the tournament favourites I'd imagine um, and overall I just thought they were quite impressive last night. Okay, Hillary. Yeah, Mbappe was great, wasn't he? He's a, he's a real star. Um, but I, I also think uh, it's worth just commenting on Belgium who didn't really seem to me to, to turn up uh, last night. I watched it in a pub with loads of Belgian fans with their faces painted and everything. Yeah. Obviously, they were massively disappointed. I don't know, De Bruyne didn't quite look there, did he? He looked a bit tired, maybe. He didn't mm. kind of really uh, uh, spark last night. Uh, so I kind of felt that, that Belgium lost it as much as, as France winning it. Uh, Fellaini just looked really uh, angry. Obviously, that uh, that goal didn't uh, cover him in glory, did it? But um, uh, uh, clearly, as a United fan, we do have a an alliterative term for Fellaini, which I'll leave you to work out. Um, uh, so uh, it, that doesn't surprise us so much. Um, I mean, some of the commentary on Twitter was slightly annoying last night after the game because it's, it's obviously a cliche, but you can't just turn up and sit behind the ball if you want to defend well. And the thing that was impressive about France was that they completely stifled all of the areas that uh, Belgium have been quite successful in during this World Cup. Obviously, granted, some of there were a few straight passes from Belgium, um, the Kaku missed a good opportunity, etc., etc. But the overall story of that, of that game for me was France successfully asserting themselves as has been said in the midfield and what that meant was that it was a defensive performance but it was one where they really had to get sort of stuck into the Belgian team and especially in midfield and especially swarming around Lukaku um, in order to, to be successful um, so I, I, as in, in terms of an interesting game I thought I thought it definitely was and it's always like I find it slightly frustrating when people uh, can't get into a game that was ultimately revolved a little bit around more sensible, intelligent uh, football rather than just sort of banging in a load of goals. So that was quite an interesting game for me. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that France have got this far. Uh, when you see the wealth of talent that they have, even the players that they've left at home, uh, players like Lacazette uh, uh, went to Arsenal for like £40 million last summer, can't get near the team for the last two years. I think very much if you looked at all the squads on paper before the World Cup, it would be hard not to pick France as the best going in. That being said, you still got to put it all together. Uh, and 
things which haven't really been highlighted. Uh, I'm really struggling with who to say is the player of the tournament at this point. Uh, I think a lot of people would say Kane because he's scored the most goals. You look at how those goals have come. Uh, maybe not. Uh, and I think it. I think it's quite hard to pick. There's no star attacker who has really shown above everyone else. Uh, I think it could go to one of the French centre backs, maybe Rafa Varane. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was a bit of a beast last night. Uh, kind of stifled everything, and no defenders, even Thiago Silva and uh, uh, Mark. I think it was Marquinhos who started for Brazil. Neither of them, who both played for top. European teams could stop Lukaku, yet France just shut him down last night. Uh, and then again, uh, Kante is just uh, France's X factor, I think. It's like having 12 players on the pitch at all times. Kante's only really been relevant in world football for the last three years. In that time, he's won the league with Leicester, got to European final with France, won the league with Chelsea, won the FA Cup last year, and now is in the final with France again. Uh, some record for a guy who was playing in the French second league uh, four years ago. So I think we do have to give France credit. Uh, commiserations for Belgium. Uh, I wonder what you guys make of this sort of golden generation concept. Uh, eerily similar to England uh, in the fact that uh, Belgium have yet to win anything with this sort of golden generation of players that they never had anything the like uh, before. What do you reckon? Is this the end of Belgium? Players will be four years older at the next World Cup, two years older at the next European Championship. Well, I think the, the comparison with England is quite good, actually, because I think what's different about England this year is that they mm. haven't tried to build a team around a star player, mm. you know, play, play players out of uh, position because they're trying to build a team around star players. And I just wonder if there's a bit of that going on uh, with, with mm. Belgium. So, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, that is uh, them not learning from our past mistakes. Um, I, I think they they have lost a real opportunity. I, I think you know they're not going to be the same team uh, in four years' time. Although they will be in two years' time, uh, presumably. And um, just go back to that point you made yeah. earlier about there's no star player because the thing that kind of feels a bit lacking from this World Cup is there's no kind of star entertainer there's not like much miller is there <laughs> kind of uh, real character uh, entertainment uh, uh, player uh, that that feels a bit a bit missing it feels like a, it lacks a bit of um uh, uh, personality this, yeah. this world cup i think it's kind of ties uh, to this point of all the set piece goals record number of goals from set pieces we could say that maybe that's because of var and more penalties uh, but I think it does go beyond that, especially particularly these last few knockout games with headers from free kicks and corners uh, being different difference makers. Uh, do you think that's? Do you think this lack of star the set pieces is due to a lack of star players being able to like sort of cut teams open, be their uh, game breaker, or do you think it's uh, there's more set piece goals because teams are playing the games tighter? refusing to lead goals from open play and just trying to nab goals from set pieces to sort of get over the line, Alistair? Um, well, it seems to me there's been the, the shift that's taken place in football over the last two or three seasons has been from the sort of Spanish tiki-taki game to uh, a game that where people, uh, where teams feel a little bit more comfortable not being in possession of the ball. So a lot of the teams that are, are winning teams, both in, in uh, the European leagues and also international football, 
recently seem to have been teams that can get away with only having 30-40% of the possession but who are really powerful in the break and who cut forward so it seems to me that there's a little bit of um, a situation emerged the last couple of years where defensively and at the at, at the sort of more defensive midfield positions teams are definitely stronger and able to uh, stop people from scoring uh, from, from open play to some extent um, but I think the VAR has had a little bit of an influence in that respect in, in that um, when set pieces do uh, occur then there's a bit more of a reluctance especially after that spate of penalties very early in the World Cup of people you know, grappling within the box and stopping people so it gives a little bit more opportunity to attackers from set pieces Yeah, I mean, I, I think a number of the set pieces as well is a, a further reflection at this point that Alistair's making that there's been a lot of football played on the break and when that's happening I mean, the sen- most sensible option often is to just cut the guy down and stop it in his tracks which has led to the set pieces and I think on the whole, and this has been a criticism levelled at England about the set piece play but on the whole, the goals that have gone from set pieces have They've not gone against the, the run of play. They've been sort of reflections and almost well-earned goals that have been sort of stuck. Otherwise, I had opportunity stifled through sort of illegal play. Um, so I, I, I think the, the step... It also seems, at least my memory of previous World Cups, teams just like seem to be putting more tactical energy around the set piece. They've been, like, they've been a lot more smarter plays. The set pieces have worked. People have known what they've been uh, trying to do with the set pieces a lot better, I think. So it's, it's sort of like... Uh, teams have smartened up a little bit to the opportunities provided by the set piece. Yeah, uh, but is it new? Is this new? So Sachi, uh, famous Italian manager from uh, I think seventies, uh, uh, used to have fifty-five different ways that a corner kick could be taken. Uh, there used to be a lot of emphasis put into uh, into corners and set places. Uh, uh, Tony Pulis, uh, <laughs> great believer in. <laughs> The, the value of a corner, average Pulis team scores about 50% of its goals from set pieces or corners. Uh, I think a certain amount, <laughs> like, the accusations thrown at Pulis, like, Pulis ball, awful football, I think are, are a bit much and a bit moralising <coughs> how you should win, which is a fool's game, uh, a fool's errand. Uh, but Hilary, what do you make of the set piece phenomenon? Well, I, I suppose talking of dreadful football, I think the, the thing that I, I keep uh, thinking that we really owe a debt of gratitude to, and I didn't think it at the time, is those um, uh, journalists who uh, uh, caught Sam Allardyce out. You can't really see us being in the position we're in now had, had Allardyce been in charge. Uh, can you? Although, you know, again, another person who would have been uh, uh, very much uh, keen on set pieces. I do think there is, I know everybody's been very positive about set pieces, I do think there's an element to which players are playing for uh, getting uh, free kicks though, you know, I do think that they are, there's an element to which there's a bit of lack of belief in being able to score from open play and therefore you're playing for the foul and you're playing for uh, getting the the, the, uh, the free kick or, 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 you know, playing the ball out, getting the ball out for a, uh, a corner, so... I don't think I don't think we should see the set piece thing as an entirely positive uh, development. Um, although I have to say I was there uh, when um, David Beckham scored that free kick against Greece, mm. which everybody will remember. Uh, so I have um, a certainly a folk memory of England uh, and set pieces. Mm. Yeah, I uh, certainly don't. Also, even though we can like highlight all these stats, I don't think it's. The football has been remarkably less exciting or more boring because of set pieces. So, 
Uh, I don't think we should get too high on our high horses about that. Uh, so, England on Saturday, it seems a while ago now, beat uh, Sweden 2-0 uh, to claim their place in today's semi-final where they'll play Croatia. Uh, some are calling it England's best performance at a tournament in living memory. Certainly in my mind, uh, it was the easiest knockout win that I think I've ever seen England uh, uh, play. Uh, and even against significant, when they've played against significantly worse teams in the, uh, the past. So by all means, I think very impressive. Uh, Jacob, what do you make of the win against Sweden? Yeah, I mean, I mean Sweden aren't the greatest team in the world. And 2-0 was not going to set the world alight against Sweden. But we were talking, I think, rightly last time on the podcast about the fact that Sweden play an incredibly tight, well-organised game and for England to just completely look in control and take them apart to the point of scoring two goals um, without really looking like they were ever sort of having to having to be desperate for it, I think shows that there was something going like really, really right with the sort of organisational setup and the, the contribution from, from key players. So I, I, I was, it was a bizarre feeling sitting in a pub watching England be totally in control of a game and me not seeing their bite in my nails. It was uh, for, for that for that reason, yeah, great performance, one of the best in a long time. Um, well, it's the I suppose the old cliche, isn't it, that you can only beat what's put in front of you, and I, I think that England just did a good job in in. Um, taking on and, and uh, beating what was put in front of them. I, they started very poorly to my mind, they were uh, looked nervous, they kept kicking the ball out and missing their passes, but once they started to get a grip a little bit it, it, it became uh, I think fairly easy for them. That said the, the keeper did actually make three pretty good saves, which is, is interesting in that such a limited team as Sweden could get three very good chances like that. Um, but I just, yeah, they, they just uh, did, did what they needed to do and I, I I think um, Sterling obviously had a lot of criticism, but I thought he was quite integral to England wrestling a bit of control in that match. Yes, he keeps missing uh, chances, but I think the the running that he does and the opportunities that he created with his burst through the middle actually gave a bit of space for the rest of the England team to to come into the game a bit more. So I I, I just thought that they did well. It wasn't as tough a game as Colombia, I don't think, but. but. Yes, uh, everybody said everything I was going to say. Uh, mm. I did think it was a really assured performance once they got over their, their nerves, and that did make it a lot less exciting. Yeah. I didn't jump up and scream when that second goal went in. I was just quietly smug, um, mm. which is a, a nice thing to be. Um, you, you've got to mention the Harrys, I, I, I guess. Um, is this a legacy of uh, the Harry Potter stories? We've got so many Harrys <laughs> around, is that what it is? Um, uh, Maguire obviously was brilliant. I thought Jesse Lingard was great, and as you say, Sterling uh, was better. Uh, which I think in some ways is a bit of a shame because I would love to see Rashford get a, t- a start. Uh, he must be like a caged animal, I guess. Yeah, uh, I thought they were uh, going to bring him on at the end to like, exploit some of the space going forward. Yeah, well, I, I would like to see him start, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, so I found <laughs> the thing I found really weird because for ages in the game, Sweden decided they had absolutely nothing going forward. And then that Pickford save, the one where he got down low really quickly... It's like for about a minute, this is the best football of any team I think I've seen in the tournament from Sweden, uh, which was really odd. But yeah, I think hard to say that England didn't completely deserve that win uh, and made it easy. Uh, I like quite confidently booked their place against Croatia tonight. Uh, so uh, Croatia actually struggled once more against Russia. Uh, I think interesting to have a, a bit of a chat about this. Do you think that was... Uh, host syndrome, uh, but also Croatia have struggled to put away team, t- uh, teams. Uh, 
won the last two knockout games on penalties, played 120 minutes twice, might be a bit tired. Uh, what do you make of Croatia going into tonight's game, uh, Alistair? Um, well, they started off the tournament very well, I thought, and they, they looked very impressive in the group games um, against, uh, obviously, uh, that stage inferior opposition. They have struggled the last couple of games, uh, to my mind. Um, they seem to have had, uh, you know, had a fair amount of control within those games, but um, not really built on that to be able to create lots of chances and and uh, make the most of it. Um, that said, you know, you you just got to get through the games, and if it takes extra time and penalties, then then so be it. The thing that uh, they might worry a little bit about for for tonight's game is is that um, doing two lots of uh, extra time and penalties in in the space of five days is is a big ask. And I, uh, you know, already uh, you know, like Modric as well into his thirties, so the 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 age of that team. Uh, they're getting on a bit it might count against them a little bit uh, yeah I think it's going to be another uh, midfield match to be honest I think that's where it's going to be won and lost uh, uh, the Croatia game so um, Rakitic Brozovic in, in midfield are going to be I think the people to um, uh, uh, t- uh, really uh, have a battle with uh, Modric will, will I guess drop back uh, so I think Henderson's going to be really important. Deli Alley's going to be really important. I think that that midfield battle is going to be the really interesting thing tonight. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean the the thing that showed up against Russia again was this point that you can be sort of almost a little bit more comfortable in defence if you're really committed and aggressive in sort of shutting them down in the midfield and I mean Russia was so energetic and so all over the place to the extent that everybody was making jokes about and one of them might have been sort of artificially energetic should we say mm. um, but so I, and I, I don't think England so far have had to uh, put on such an energetic display as they're going to have to um, in order to sort of successfully shut down that great Croatian midfield so I, I'm i confident I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the game we've um, Barely contain my excitement at the moment, but it, it will be uh, what, a, a game where that sort of level of energy and as has been said, with a sort of young England team versus an aging, maybe overplayed Croatian team, you might want to sort of fancy England. I mean, uh, Modric was an ill by the end of the, yeah. the last game. It really didn't look well. So I mean, the, the, that's at least a good, a good sign for England. Yeah, you're talking about a guy as well who's played the longest possible club season uh, the last three years in a row, having won for Real, uh, won the Champions League with Real Madrid as well. Uh, I think imp- that's an important point that this this press in the middle is going to be uh, really key to the game, especially with two maybe not natural centre mids and Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard, or as in the same role as a Modric or a Henderson would be. Uh, and inter- I'm just interested to see how England are going to approach the game if they're going to go out all out press like say Liverpool in the Premier League or if they sit back maybe not also the worst tactics and not press throughout the game to press in key uh, key segments in the game and sit back and sort of let Croatia have the ball because Croatia don't really seem to have a cutting edge going forward Mandzukic I think is a toss-up, he's a fine centre center forward, but he's not going to win a golden boot at a tournament or anything like that. Uh, Rebic has looked quite dangerous, uh, but Perisic, I think, is who, one of Inter Milan's star players who made the Champions League again this year. I think he's been quite disappointing throughout the tournament. He's not really looked like a threat, and I don't think he'll really uh, threaten Trippier uh, fr- from the left. Uh, so, yeah, I... 
I'm probably leaning towards England uh, in this game. I think, again, Croatia are vulnerable from set pieces. They've scored like a couple themselves, but I think, I think they're vulnerable. Uh, I think England have every shot, particularly if the Russians, like they promised, say they're going to back England uh, and it'd be a sort of home atmosphere for England because we all know what Domagoj Vida did <laughs> after the Russia game in saying he's... Uh, he was dedicating the win to Ukraine, Hillary. I was going to say exactly that point. We'll have the we uh, uh, allegedly will have the twelfth man uh, of the home crowd behind us, which will uh, make a difference too. I think there's different opinions on that. Actually, there's certainly some articles in the press this morning that are saying that that's really overcooked. That whole thing of, about uh, Russian fans going to support England instead. Um, I think one of the interesting things about tonight's game is is the uh, differences in terms of where the teams come from. I mean, obviously, when you when you look at uh, teams that are going to do well in World Cups, then. Uh, to start with, you, you sort of think about the, the people who have won it over the last 50 years, the Argentinas and Germanys and so on and so forth. And, and obviously in this tournament, they've not done particularly well. So next you might go and think about the players in terms of where they play. Um, I thought the interesting thing about the semi-final last night was the amount of uh, players based in the English league that were in, in, in that semi-final. I mean, it must have been considerably more than half of the starting lineups. Uh, half, you know, about 12 or 13 of the starting players were English-based, so it was quite an interesting uh, battle of people who were familiar there. Tonight's uh, semi-final is actually completely different from that, because on the one hand you've got obviously England team, very based in England, and to my mind anyway, that, that, that's been a, a bit of a problem in the past, is that England players haven't been adventurous enough in, in terms of their careers and going finding opportunities outside England but uh, with the English league being quite strong just now, then you might think, well you know, that familiar, familiarity with the type of football that's been played just now will be an advantage versus Croatia, where the players are largely German or Italian based. And to my mind, the, the German and Italian te- uh, leagues haven't been as strong over the last couple of years. So I, th- I think there's an interesting that that's going to play out a little bit and it'll be interesting to see how that uh, works its way through. There'll be a, a, another thing I haven't really covered is that if, if we're right that this. Uh, game is going to require some sort of serious pressing in the midfield and against a sort of very seasoned and uh, at times intelligent Croatian team. I mean, England have proved they've got some heart so far. They've proved they can score goals when they need. I don't think we've yet really had a test of sort of England's mental game and like, can they play football cleverly? And this this point that Adam was making, uh, uh, how are you going to use the press? Is it going to be a sort of tactical play every now and again or an all-out offensive? I think those decisions that happen in split seconds on the field, we haven't had a huge test of England's uh, ability to sort of make those calls on a young team. It'll be very interesting to see whether they can rise to that particular challenge. Yeah, Klopp's concept of Gagan press uh, is very much based on pressing at key points in the game. So I, I just wonder how much they take that fully on board uh, or if this England team is actually its own team and not a copy of Liverpool. It's an accusation which has been accused of England many times with previous failings that they just copy off the best team in the Premier League uh, from the previous year. It uh, certainly was said uh, after Euro 2016 with Tottenham, uh, England, England aren't necessarily Liverpool, so uh, interesting to see. Also, uh, I, something I've been thinking about, which I, I think is quite interesting, is to how how much extent to certain measures that the FA has taken to 
they make the England national team better. Things like the homegrown players rule in the Premier League, where you've got to have so many homegrown players in your squad. Uh, but also this perennial idea of a winter break and that the England national team was always rubbish uh, at tournaments because they didn't have a winter break like uh, 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 like uh, continental European uh, leagues, which is apparently being introduced next year, uh, maybe a year too, too late. Uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see if anyone thinks that those things have actually had an effect on this English success or if they were always just excuses for bad England teams. Uh, what do you guys reckon? I mean, I, th- I think there's, always, there's certainly been an element of these, um, of these excuses. But the, the thing that springs to my mind is that no matter how much the FA have set, talked about sort of raising England players and giving young English players a chance... It's been a while since they've had a manager like Southgate who's prepared to really put that into action. So it, it, the, the sort of like two sides of the FA, the growing young players part and the sort of managing of the Premier League, etc., and the actual person in charge of the England team, they haven't sort of seen eye to eye on this. I'd, I'd also draw attention back to the point that was made earlier about uh, having to fit an England team around certain players that were deemed indispensable or the sort of perennial sort of decision in the, the midfield that played this for so long between sort of Lampard and Gerrard and Skulls and whatnot. Um, and so th- this team hasn't sort of had to, had to face that. We've got a young cadre of players who are all very happy to, be, to play as they're told and they've been playing very well for that reason. And they've got a lot of faith in their manager, I think, and their coach. That makes a big difference. And Sethgate's been with them for a long time, hasn't he, in terms of his, his position with the under-21s and everything. So I do think that makes a difference. I think all the other things were probably just excuses, if I'm honest. Uh, we've not had a winter break this time, have we? So uh, there we go. Well, I just I, I think it's been just interesting that uh, England have managed to uh, find an identifiable style of playing. I think that's that's been one of the things that uh, they've been lacking over over the years, as you say, trying to fit the team around certain players. So uh, the 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 uh, ability to develop a style of playing that actually suits the players is seems to me to be the primary factor in in turning it around this time. Yeah, uh, so the game at 7pm tonight, uh, tune in, uh, should be dramatic, hopefully be a good game. It's uh, coming home! <laughs> uh, so, obviously, uh, with the World Cup uh, sort of dominating headlines and the country's mindset, and the backdrop somewhat has been the ongoing political situation, uh, I saw quite a funny uh, sort of meme on Facebook this morning on the way in, which was a triangle with at each point uh, as w- success in the World Cup, nice summer, stable government, <laughs> and you can only have two things. Uh, uh, but it sort of speaks to this idea that the England's success at the World Cup is somehow uh, tied to the future of Brexit and the future of sort of national self-confidence uh, moving forward. Uh, how much faith do you guys put in this sort of analogy? Do you think a world could win, could inspire the bravery for the UK and England to follow through on a complete Brexit? Or is sort of this enthusiasm surrounding the England national team actually separate from Brexit or even just the internal politics of the Conservative Party, Hillary? I think politicians will jump on the bandwagon, but I don't think for, for the political class this will <laughs> massively change things. For ordinary working people, I, I think it could. I think, you know, this 
additional self-confidence that they get and you know I don't know what it's I don't think it's perhaps the same in London but certainly in Manchester you can't move for St George's uh, cross flags it's brilliant they're just everywhere they're on the cars uh, people have bunting and flags and everything and it's it's brilliant and I think ordinary working people getting the confidence in their in their country and their own agency uh, I think will be uh, a good result from uh, even if England uh, don't go any further I think we're already uh, seeing that and, and I think that's great and I think it is gonna be a long hot summer um, and uh, I wouldn't rule out mass demonstrations and why don't we just uh, reclaim uh, the uh, England flag uh, as our new uh, uh, banner for Brexit I, I think some of the uh, attempts to politicise football uh, in the past few weeks have, uh, on the one hand, been just a bit embarrassing and, and secondly, a, a little bit problematic in cases. I mean, I was listening to a discussion on a podcast the, the, the other day and this attempt to, to sort of, uh, it's basically like, it was a discussion of genealogy, basically. Cain's got a grandfather in Ireland and someone's got uh, grandparents from Nigeria and the Caribbean and this attempt to kind of construct a multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural England team uh, and then uh, use that as the basis to claim that uh, both England will triumph and then uh, politics is, is on the way up, I, I, th- I think is just wrong and actually quite problematic because uh, it uh, reintroduces, a, a, you know, at, at the very time when uh, the race question has fallen out of football to, to quite a large extent, it reintroduces it through the back door in, 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 in in a different way, so I think that's uh, that that that's kind of problematic. On the other hand, I, I've got certain sympathy with with what you're saying. I, I I think the the it's more a sort of sense of the mood of the country and how that uh, might affect politics just now. The the the, the it it seems to me that. Um, Instead of trying to mount, a bit like the uh, Honduras, the famous Honduras-El Salvador war in the, when was it, 1970 or something like that, where uh, people said, well, out of a football match came a war. To me, it seems to be, today, it seems to be more the other way around. Politics has got a, a, an incredible sense of insecurity just now and, and kind of a febrile nature. and A lot of the old allegiances between people and political parties and how politics work have started to break down, which leaves a certain sort of openness for unexpected influences to come in. So I just think, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the football over the, over the, over the next few days, but it just um, might create a mood where politics becomes, uh, within that context, politics becomes a bit more interesting and actually difficult for politicians to manage. And I think that's what that's what's really happening uh, with the Tory party just now and, and the question of Brexit, because uh, there's, there's, there's kind of a lot of discussion of what Tory MPs and what the Conservative Party want, but what's missing in the discussion just now is what the country wants and what the people want. And I think just that there just might be uh, a, a, a situation where what we want becomes a bit more part of the discussion over the next few days, but it's a very indirect connection. Yeah, I, th- I think these attempts to find any sort of direct connection between political events and football events always feel particularly forced. Stuff naturally comes out of the way that football teams are playing or the way that sport is being understood and appreciated by ordinary people. That stuff arises pretty naturally, but it, it always is very hollow whenever it's tried to nail down into a very specific political point. 
I think more broadly, one of the things that's been interesting during this World Cup and the despite the sort of big Brexit uh, events that have gone on, is the sort of it the interest in football and the sort of complete disinterest in the Brexit negotiations from people is not just a sign that the World Cup's on and isn't the World Cup exciting. It's that the Brexit negotiations and politics more broadly is so seems so far removed from people's lives that this stuff is barely registered in and amongst the World Cup. And I think that you might even go as far as saying that some of the enthusiasm that we're seeing for football and the complete domination of football in the sort of uh, pub discourse or whatever is actually a sign that there's very little else to talk about because people feel political events have moved since the Brexit vote so far beyond them. Yeah, uh, I think particularly on this diversity point, we have uh, quite a clear example of uh, what this actually means from history and that the French 1998 World Cup winning squad was particularly celebrated on the French left for being this diverse representation of sort of the idea of French universalism, uh, which at the end of the day only spoke to racial uh, conflict in France with uh, Le Pen, the Marine Le Pen's father, coming out and saying uh, that it wasn't, it was ju- just an ethnic French team which wasn't representative of France. Uh, but at the end of the day, for those who were pushing that agenda, it didn't do anything other than make them feel a bit more wholesome about themselves. So, uh, like, I don't think you need to racialize and look at the players and say, look, this one's black, this one's white. It's just the England team. Uh, I think everyone uh, feels... Uh, the England team. Yeah, I mean, on, on, on that point, the, yeah. the, the point about that France World Cup was that there was a genuine race question being played out in French society yeah. at the time. And there were people like the sort of elder Le Pen who were trying to make a deliberate issue of the fact that the French team were from all parts of the, the sort of former French uh, colonies. And it was a great repost to be able to show the France team winning the World Cup when there were so many black players there. And that, that was that was a fact, but it responded to a particular circumstance in French society. The idea that we've got similar circumstances in British society and that there's any antipathy towards black faces in the team or that there's any antipathy towards black people or mixed race people in general is just nonsense. And so the idea that this could be a response to that is also therefore nonsense. They are uniformly and universally tattooed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also mostly northern, so the fact that the, the South is claiming this England team for their own. I, myself, as a northerner, feel disgusted by. No, uh, uh, but also the, on, on the Brexit thing, I think this it's unique that Brexit is going on at this time. And the, we, I remember we were also asking this question at Euro 2016, uh, I think, did England go out before the vote or after the vote? I can't remember. But there was this sort of idea that if England won Euro 2016, it might inspire this great national confidence uh, in that we would leave the European Union. When obviously it's probably the most dramatic failure in recent memory of England at a national tournament, yet yeah, Brexit still uh, was voted for and is happening. So I can't remember the specifics, but I think at times, tying sporting events to uh, politics in this direct way actually just doesn't give a regular people the credit that they can take sensible political decisions without overly emotionalising things around sporting events which make them feel good. I think we do need to give a certain amount of faith in people that if people want Brexit, it's because of important political concepts like democracy, 
like sovereignty, not uh, just tied to, oh, we beat France in a World Cup final, therefore we must be better than Europe. Here, here. Uh, so, uh, again, make sure you tune in tonight, 7pm, England take on Croatia. We'll be back on Friday uh, with a special podcast, either previewing England in the final or pre- previewing Croatia versus France in the final and dissecting what went wrong. Uh, you can find all our podcasts on our website, www.academyofideas.org.uk. And also make sure you subscribe on iTunes.